You're listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 34. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Well, first off, I'd like to apologize for my uh, nasally voice. I'm still a little under the weather. Uh, it's lasted a few extra days longer than I expected it to. So with no flu, there is a little bit of a flu epidemic going around the country. Um, it's just a simple head cold. But nonetheless, uh, I apologize for my nasally voice. Uh, so on today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, vaginal dryness. Uh, this is something that... Uh, Maybe doesn't get discussed a lot. Uh, certainly, you know, there might be a little bit of uh, apprehension to bring it up, um, but something that does come up quite often. And, uh, you know, more importantly, from a conventional perspective, there's not really a lot of good treatment options, which is also why we thought we would talk about it. Yeah, vaginal dryness with intercourse is because um, I'm a female and I usually um, have good rapport with patients. They have no problem talking about that. But, but Dr. Mackey's right. They might feel, you know, women might feel a little awkward talking to their male gynecologists that they're having vaginal dryness or pain with intercourse, but it's really common. It's um, definitely extremely common in menopause. I'd say it's probably, you know, the second complaint when it comes to menopause, you know, right behind hot flashes and night sweats is vaginal dryness. So it's inevitable that with menopause, you know, there's going to be a little bit of dryness. Some people have it very painful and can't even have intercourse, and some people just have it slight. So it kind of depends on on the person. But definitely, you know, hey, you know, menopause, the average age of menopause is 51 and a half, and that's if you go through menopause naturally, you know, average age is 51 and a half. We've got a lot of years after that, and, you know, we want to have a healthy sex life. We don't want to just say, okay, done. Yeah, right, yeah. And uh, certainly, uh, like we said, you go to the gynecologist or you even go try to find something over the counter and there's really not a lot of good options. Uh, some of the personal lubrications that are out there, the lubrication creams are usually water-based. Uh, they might be silicone-based. You know, Some of those can be somewhat, uh, somewhat effective, but uh, not really it's not going to replace hormones, right? Once those hormones start to decline, and that can be, for a woman, that can be in her late 40s to her early 50s, uh, there's really no replacement for that other than, you know, replacing it with other hormones. Yeah, like Dr. Mackey's saying, um, you know, I'm talking about menopause, but he's right. Even women going through perimenopause, you know, even as early as age 44, will start to have, you know, dry, painful intercourse. And then, of course, if a female, you know, 44 is perimenopause, their gynecologist doesn't want to do anything hormonally with them because, you know, you don't want to put estrogen on top of estrogen. But it really is the drop in estrogen over time that causes that vaginal dryness. So with a, a lubricant, I think everybody should use a lubricant no matter how old you are, you know, in, with females. Um, but in terms of lubrication, that's one aspect. But when you're looking at lower estrogen causing what we would call vaginal atrophy or, you know, vaginal dryness, is it's not just dryness. The lack of estrogen causes those vaginal cells to become very fragile, you know, a little thin. So a lubricant might help with the lubrication, but it doesn't help with the pain or some of the friction or even some... I have some people, you know, they have a little bit tearing of the tissues that they can't 
even have intercourse because the tissues tear. And like I was saying, you know, menopause is 51 and a half. It can happen to women as early as, you know, 44 with perimenopause. But then there's another population of females that go through what you would say, they call it surgical menopause. So they have a hysterectomy, the uterus is out, but then an oophorectomy where they take the ovaries out as well. And I've had women in their 30s have that. And for whatever reason, you know, there may be good reasons for it. They may be bad reasons for it, but you know, they have their ovaries out so early that lack of estrogen immediately throws them not in just to menopause, but to that vaginal dryness as well. Yeah. Right. Cause once that, you know, once that estrogen kind of disappears, now if it, like you said, if it's inevitably an inevitable decline, it's kind of a gradual situation where women can still be somewhat men, you know, they can still have a regular period or even a somewhat of a sporadic period. Uh, but they're still having, you know, they're still having some pain and discomfort. Uh, but that's kind of a clue that that estrogen level is definitely dropping off as opposed to, like you said, with the, you know, with the surgical menopause. And I think we both noticed with surgical menopause or hysterectomy that it can be very abrupt. Like they get symptoms right away, or sometimes it can take sometimes months, even years for those symptoms to show up. That usually indicates that their body is still, if they've had their ovaries still intact, that their body is still producing some uh, kind of uh, still enough endogenous estrogen. So, you know, those symptoms don't just come, they just don't happen right away. Oh yeah, you're right. If you have a, you know, a hysterectomy where the uterus is taken and they leave your ovaries in, which is great, um, you know, and you're in your thirties and you have to have the uterus out, whether it's for fibroids or endometriosis or polyps or, you know, or some, some changes in the cervical um, cells on your pap smear, that's totally fine. Um, your ovaries don't need a uterus to function. They still secrete a lot of hormones. So, um, so like you said, you might not necessarily notice issues with dry, you know, painful intercourse or menopausal symptoms if you just have a hysterectomy. But when you take those ovaries out, you definitely go from having a good amount of hormones to no hormones. And then of course, you know, doctors have different alternatives. They're not necessarily fixed on, are you going to have a good sex life? They want to make sure that your bone density is okay. You know, the cardiovascular, you know, all the prevent, you know, all the disease states that could possibly happen. So a lot of times they try to give women estrogen. And so what we're kind of talking about here is if you're menopausal or, you know, or maybe you don't have your ovaries and you're having pain with intercourse, we have some options that we can talk about because some women just don't want to take hormones or they might not, or take estrogen in particular, or they might not be a candidate for estrogen. So you, there has to be, you know, another way so they don't have to, you know, like I said, close up shop and never have sex again. Yeah, right. And conventionally, we've talked about it on uh, past episodes, a lot of women, depending on maybe not exactly for this issue, but in general, when they're having hormonal issues, uh, women even in their late 40s are being put on birth control uh, as a way to balance hormones. Not necessarily the best idea. But when it comes to this issue specifically, there's really very limited options. Um, we were, You and I were talking about it. There's a few estradiol options that women can use. Uh, estradiol is the predominant conventional type, uh, and some, you know, some vaginal inserts can be used for something like that. And there's even a, and there's one cream that's on the market. Uh, that one, I noticed that it's not been advertised as much, probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was actually advertised on TV quite often. And there's also a, a, a pill, uh, you know, the, you know, that I think you and I were talking about the mechanism, mechanism of action, which is like a, I think you mentioned that it's an estrogen agonist, um, which when something is an agonist, agonist like that in pharmacology terms, it means that your body, it makes your body produce whatever it's agonistic, whatever it's, it's agonistic for. Uh, I know that was a little complicated for me to spit out there, but 
Uh, not really the best idea, uh, you know, not really the best option for something. If they're advertising it on TV, uh, if they're going through the expense of advertising, that means that this is a very, very common problem. Otherwise, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't waste their time. Yeah, that oral medication that you take is, you know, for specifically vaginal dryness isn't, doesn't, they call it non-hormonal. So people get really excited about it. But like Dr. Mackey said, it does stimulate the estrogen receptors. So if you have a, you know, if you just aren't a candidate for estrogen replacement, um, especially something you know that might go systemic into your system, that's not an option for you. And just on a side note, just from experience, I mean, I've had a few patients, not a, not a lot, but a few patients that have been on that medication, the oral one, and they don't like it. You know, they just don't they don't they don't like it, and it doesn't necessarily help that much for the vaginal dryness um, as it would be for like Dr. Mackey was, had mentioned earlier is your doctor can prescribe you estradiol or estradiol vaginal insert that you put in vaginally. But like he said, estradiol, so we make we make three estrogens in our in, a, in the female body and, and male body too. But you know, for our female bodies, we make estrone E1, which we don't really make a lot of when you're older. You make a lot of that when you're young. It's not really a great hormone. And then estradiol, which is a very strong form of estrogen. It's great for your heart. It's good for your bones. But it it's but it likes to grow things. You know, it's not really great. It grows the breast tissue. It can grow the uterine lining. So estradiol is very strong. And then there's estriol, which is um, E3, which is the most gentle estrogen. So when your gynecologist gives you estradiol inserts vaginally, what I found is when I've done, and they say this isn't supposed to happen, but when I've had women use these vaginal estradiol inserts for vaginal dryness, when I test their blood, if they're not on any hormones, it still shows up in their in their lab work like they are on hormones. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, and usually the rule of thumb is when you're using something uh, locally, right, inserting it vaginally, it does not necessarily, uh, again, it is dose dependent. The higher the dose, certainly it's, there's going to be a spillover into your blood. But usually what you do locally is not meant to be systemic. And what you do systemic doesn't always fix something locally at the same time. So sometimes you have, if a woman's in a, let's say she's having lots of hot flashes, which is quote unquote a systemic issue, and she's having some symptoms of, you know, vaginal dryness, you kind of have to approach it in both directions. You have to approach it systemically to get rid of the hot flashes uh, and or night sweats and also from a you know, from a vaginal dryness perspective. So she might have to do a cream systemically and a cream and or a suppository locally to solve that problem. Yeah. So if you are a candidate for hormone replacement and you can take it systemically because hormones can be amazing, you know, for anti-aging and longevity, let's say you are a candidate. Um, so when you take the hormone replacement, your poor little vaginal cells are like last in line to get it. So by the time the estrogen has gone through your system and it's, you know, and it's ready to be supplied to the vaginal cells, there's not much left over. So they really get nothing, you know, nothing. They're like at the end of the serving line, which is why you do in mo I would say probably you know 85% of the cases is you do have to do something topically to those little vaginal cells cuz like I had mentioned earlier um, estrogen basically causes the the vaginal cell to become mature. So immature vaginal cells are called parabasal cells. So if you've ever seen the report, if you are a menopausal female with, or or you have vaginal atrophy, if you've ever seen your full report of your last pap smear, it will say predominantly parabasal cells. They don't tell you that over the phone. They just send you a postcard that says everything's fine. But if you were to actually read the report, it would say predominantly parabasal cells. Those are immature vaginal cells. Now, when you add 
estrogen to those little parabasal cells, they grow up to become mature um, estrogen cells. So that's why applying it directly to those little cells will cause, you know, will reduce vaginal atrophy, will reduce, you know, that vaginal dryness, and will actually, I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but kind of um, open up the vaginal canal. Because I've had women that have had hysterectomies and oophorectomies, they had their ovaries out in their 30s, and then I meet them, you know, at 49 or 50, they can't even have penetration. That, you know, that atrophy, that lack of estrogen, because they hadn't been on any hormone replacement or anything else, you know, for, you know, 10, 10 to 15 years is sometimes they can't even have penetration and then you have to kind of work backwards. But we always, we always get there, but um, those poor little cells, you know, they need to have that estrogen. Yeah, I've had a couple of cases myself, and I know you've seen quite a bit more of that than I have, but I've had a couple of cases myself where um, women were, a couple of women in particular, where they were just in major, major distress. Uh, not even from a, not even from an intercourse or sex perspective, but just from a everyday walking around. Uh, one woman, she said she couldn't even wear pants anymore. It was so uncomfortable. She could barely sit down. Uh, she was really in a, a lot of distress. So of course we. Uh, used an, an estriol-based prescription, uh, you know, she used it locally. Uh, and within a matter of, you know, probably about a good uh, six months, maybe six months to a year, it had improved by about 90%, uh, where the pain was, you know, uh, again, not even about intercourse, but just about being comfortable and not having any more pain or discomfort. Um, that, like you said, that a severe case of vaginal atrophy had completely reversed itself. Oh, yeah. In fact, that I was just talking to a patient last week and actually two patients last week and they were um, mentioning they went to get their pap smear. One patient could, couldn't even get this, you know, the, the doctor could barely get the speculum in. It was so painful. And then the other patient I just talked to on, I think it was thir- Wednesday, said that, that she, you know, she's got a, she works with a group of females, young females. So she's 58 and all the other ladies she works with are in their twenties and early thirties. So she said she was telling them the story and they were like hysterical about, you know, her gynecologist had to use like an infant speculum or like a juvenile speculum, which I didn't even know those existed to actually be able to get a pap smear for her. Cause that's what happens when you haven't had estrogen for that long. And like Dr. Mackey said is estriol E3 is a great way to basically cause those parabasal cells to grow up into vaginal, um, you know, mature vaginal cells to help with those symptoms without being completely systemic like the estradiol is. And one thing we did forget to mention is sometimes some doctors, and hopefully not, hopefully it's getting less and less and less over time, is they'll prescribe you a Premarin cream to apply vaginally. That's very... It used to be hugely common. I'm hoping it's getting less common over time because what is Premarin? Premarin is not bioidentical. Premarin is basically an equine estrogen, a horse estrogen. Yeah, right. And that was the cream that I was talking about that had been marketed uh, over the last few years. It's kind of toned off now, but I remember seeing it last year, year before. It was on TV all the time. And I'm just, you know, kind of rolling my eyes, kind of, you know, in a little bit of disgust that uh, that has been around, uh, you know, so. 2001, when the Women's Health Initiative study came out, you and I are actually still in school at that point, and we kind of seen what happened. This this huge influx, all of a sudden, of these women, you know, panicked. You know, their doctors were panicked, the women were panicked, but yet their doctors took them off their Premier and their Prem Pro and all the conventional HRT, 
but then they were left with nothing. You know, so they were miserable. They couldn't function. Uh, so, you know, fast forward, you know, almost 20 years later, so, you know, 17 years later or 16 years later, whenever I was noticing this on TV, and they're still trying to use the same thing, uh, even though we already know uh, from a, you know, from a health and safety perspective that it's not really a great idea. It's amazing in how these medications, they kind of just get recycled, uh, you know, over the course of time. Because let's face it, you know, from a research and development, getting drug approval, it's really, really expensive, millions and millions, if not billions of dollars to do that, you know, so it takes a lot of time and effort to get a new drug to market, just easier just to use the same thing over again. But you think about, which this could go on for hours, the ethical implica- you know, implications of you know, keeping horses pregnant. And then I've always wondered, what do they do with the babies once they're born? Because then they repregnate the horses. And I've looked at this a little bit, not at length, definitely. And I'm sure you listeners probably know more about it than I do, that, you know, they're su- those farms for those horses are supposed to be horse friendly or something. But if you've noticed, mo- I don't think any of those Premarin farms or those are in are in our country now. I think they've actually moved out of the country. I think there's a couple in Canada and maybe in China. So anyway, I just think that if we don't know how, you know, that ethically that I don't think I would want, I definitely wouldn't want, one, wouldn't want to take Premarin just for my own personal health history. And, but I definitely wouldn't want to take it because of those horses. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, so there's like an ethical moral dilemma there with, you know, based on how the animals are treated, but then there's also the health implications that it's just not, it's just not the same. And that's the whole reason why we talk about bioidentical hormones, because even still in 2018 that we're in now, uh, the, the hormones all kind of get lumped in the same bucket. Uh, so, you know, and conventionally they don't, they have, I think they have very limited options and they don't even understand some of the things like the estriol suppositories or an estriol cream. Most gynecologists don't need, or a nurse practitioner or whoever you go see for an issue like that. They don't even know that that's even a possibility as a prescription option. They don't even know that they could call that into a compounding pharmacy. If it's not at a CVS or a Walgreens or a, a regular, you know, bricks and mortar, you know, kind of big box pharmacy like that. They don't even consider it as being a possibility. Yeah, no, estriol, like we had mentioned, I mean, it's safe, it's gentle, but, you know, I've had people, patients on estriol suppositories or vaginal capsules, and they'll take it over to their gynecologist, and their gynecologist will tell them to stop taking it and then give them Premarin. It's, you know, it's just because they don't know, but sometimes, you know, you you know, it, you got to learn, you know, this is, you know, we're in 2018 now, if you're not sure about something, you know, medicine is changing all the time, you just got to learn. And so that's why, you know, you listeners are, are listening to us, we're telling you don't do Premarin, don't do estradiol, don't do the oral, you know, estrogen agonist. And then you think, well, what am I, you know, what can I do? I do think the estriol is a great, um, you know, great way to help with those with vaginal pain or vaginal atrophy with intercourse for anybody. And you can use it when you're still menstruating. So you can use it as a perimenopausal female. You can use it as a woman that just got her ovaries out and maybe is choosing not to do hormone replacement. You can do it as a menopausal female, but you do have to get a lot of times that from a compounding pharmacy. And to get it from a compounding pharmacy, you have to have a a physician that's going to write your prescription for it. Yeah, right. And when it comes to, uh, you know, using something like that, whether it's a suppository or a cream, you can go either direction. You're usually not going to use something like that every single day. Usually what we've noticed that women are going to use a frequency are usually about one to three days a week. You might use it more frequently in the beginning. Uh, it might be every day for a week or two, and then it's going to, your frequency from there is going to start to kind of spread out a little bit. And then a woman, of course, woman knows her body better than anyone. She's going to know what her, you know, what her, uh, frequency should 
should be as in order to maintain that and keep the discomfort at bay? Yeah. So usually if you're having quite a bit, you know, you, you know, vaginal atrophy or pain with intercourse, then I say use the estriol insert, uh, for 10 days straight at night, of course, because, you know, it's vaginally inserted. And then thereafter, you can do it once to twice a week, depending on, you know, the level of, you know, hydration or pain with intercourse. And usually after about four weeks, four to six weeks, there everything's fine. And then you do it maybe once, you know, twice a week, once a week, once every other week. You just kind of do it depending on you. But like I said, you got to, you know, you got to find a functional medicine doctor or a doctor that knows how to prescribe hormones and is aware of what estriol is and how to prescribe it because there are different doses. But there's also another option you can do that's over the counter is you can actually order little um, estriol suppositories online. Yeah. And there's a company that we've used actually started by an ND. Uh, so, you know, we're of course very familiar with it. A lot of people have, uh, ha- have heard a lot of women specifically because they make a lot of women. I think all of their things are women specific called Bezwecken and a fabulous company been around for a very long time. Uh, and they've gone through some transitions, you know, they've uh, had to kind of reformulate and stop some things. They had a wonderful adrenal product that every functional medicine type doctor used to use called Isocort. Uh, you know, that hasn't been around for a number of years. Uh, but now they have uh, kind of a new version of their uh, suppositories and they call them hydration cubes in one to two milligrams of estriol, exactly what we're talking about. So it's a very, very simple, very affordable option for women uh, that, uh, you know, that helps solve this problem very easily. Yeah, it is really quite inexpensive. I don't even know how they make any money with the price of it. They have, the, they call them hydration cubes, um, you know, times one or times two. So if you have more vaginal atrophy, or maybe it's been a lot, you know, a while that you've been through menopause or had low estrogen, then you do the, you know, the, the double, you know, the times two. And then if it's relatively new, or maybe you're a perimenopausal female, or maybe you um, haven't had intercourse for a while, and then you met somebody special and you want to, then maybe you use a little bit of that lower dose, that times one. But like I said, it's very affordable. And it's kind I mean, it's, pretty amazing. So I do like, I do like Bezwecken a lot and I really like their mission. Yeah. Right. You know, they're, they're kind of uh, focusing, you know, there's a few companies in the space that we work in that focus on women's specific issues, but this is one that definitely has, has done that and has developed a little bit of a reputation that way. Uh, so if you visit our website, progresshealth.com, you go to the online store, you'll you know, just uh, go to the search box. You can type in Bezwecken. You'll come up across all the different products that they offer, and you'll see the hydration cubes in there. And as, you know, times one or times two. So you have a little bit of variety and kind of decide from there which, which one's going to be appropriate for you in the frequency. If you start with a lower one, you needed to use it more frequently, then go to the higher one. You can use it less frequently. Uh, so if you have any questions about that, certainly you can reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to you know, help you there. Yeah. Or you can go and type in um, hydration cubes and it'll come up because everybody always misspells Bezwecken. Yeah. Bezwecken. It's B-E-Z-W-E-C-K-E-N. I always would leave that C out. Yeah. Right. Now that uh, from, a, from a search perspective, maybe not the best name, right? Because that's a hard one to spell. Like, well, I don't even know what that, I should know what that means, but I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Uh, you know, but and nonetheless, uh, still an option. Uh, maybe it's easier to type in hydration cubes. It'll come right up that way. If you have any questions, you can send us an email at help at progresshealth.com. Uh, certainly visit our content library uh, for access to a bunch of other resources uh, about uh, you know balancing hormones naturally. Uh, anything else to add for this one, Davidson, uh, Dr. Davidson, or can run? Uh, can we wrap this one up? Oh no, th- yeah, this was great. Uh, so until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey, and I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. 
you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.